Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble When you're perfect in every way I can't wait to look in the mirror Cause I get better looking each day To know me is to love me I must be a hell of a man Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble But I'm doing the best that I Oh yeah, it's hard to be humble So if you guys have been following my Facebook page, the Happy Healthy You Facebook page, or my blog, you know that I have this theme going about humility. I'm really curious about it. You know, so many spiritual traditions talk about the importance for us to be humble, to practice humility in our lives. And I wondered, you know, what is that relationship between humility and happiness And how do they intersect, if at all? And why do so many spiritual traditions suggest that we find this humility in our lives and really cultivate it? So I've been, I've been working with that in my yoga practices, and I thought we'd have a conversation on the podcast about it today, too. And, and maybe you guys will have some ideas about it. So hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman, and this is sort of a labor of love that I've been playing with for the last three years. Happy Healthy You is all about living a whole life in mind, body, and spirit. So thank you for joining us here. And you can check us out on my website at ConnieBowman.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. And you can follow us on Facebook at the Happy Healthy You Facebook page. So humble. What does it mean to be humble? What is humility? Uh, The Oxford Dictionary defines humility as a modest or a low view of one's own importance. And when we talk about humility as a spiritual principle, we're talking about more, more about developing an honest, accurate, and objective view of our importance in the universe. We might say that through humility, we're developing an understanding of God's view of us as individuals. Now, uh, you might think that humility means low self-esteem, well, it really isn't. It's actually the opposite. With humility, our self-esteem isn't attached to our personal traits or our physical appearance, our wealth, uh, even our shortcomings or our past. It's attached to more where we fit into the universe, uh, our relationship with God or our, our idea of our higher self, our, our better nature, and, and our purpose as well. I think when we're humble and we cultivate the sense of humility, we also view ourselves as equal to other human beings. So that, to me, that's really important. But I'm going to bring in the expert. So I've had her on the podcast before, Katie Carpola. I'm so excited to talk to her again today. She is the founder of Authentic Dimensions Consulting. She's a board-certified executive leadership coach and a member of the International Coach Federation. She has additional coaching specialties in health and wellness, business and relationship and life coaching. In addition, she's an image management consultant. She's a corporate trainer and organizational leadership consultant, and she uses her many, many uh, bodies of knowledge to deliver an integrative systems approach to meeting her clients' unique needs. 
Now, she graduated as an honor scholar with a Bachelor of Science in Interdisciplinary Studies from Kennesaw State University, and then she went on to get her Bachelor of Science in Organizational Leadership from Brunel University, and she has earned her EQI 2.0 and EQ360 Emotional Intelligence Certification. So she's certified in the Arsenal Assessment, and she also facilitates classes using the the people map system. She's received additional training from the Institute for Life Coach Training, Emory Continuing Education, and the Consell Institute of Image Management. And she's my friend and my bestie, Katie. Thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. Wow, you your uh, your credentials have increased since we last talked. Thanks for having me, Connie. And. Uh, I have a master of science and organizational leadership instead of a bachelor. So, oh, did I? Say that? I just had a master. See, talk about humility. I'm like getting off on the wrong foot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Well, you know, like I said, humility doesn't necessarily mean uh, making ourselves seem less in, important, right? It's more about right. that idea that we're all the same in you know, the eyes of God in the, in the scheme of the universe, we're all really equal or we start out that way anyway. Right. Right. And we, you know, we're all equal in the sense that we have unique gifts. Okay. okay. And they, they really all play a part of a system in a bigger picture. Yeah. And I think part of humility going back to where we fit in the universe goes back to acknowledging that we all have a specific purpose and a specific role. And if we embrace that, um, and let go of this idea of being perfect, mm. that it makes it so much easier to develop those gifts, that talent, that purpose, and that passion. Yeah. Oh, I love this conversation. Yeah. First of all, if you could see me sitting here, I just took a hot yoga class and I'm a hot mess. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm so far from perfect right now. I didn't have a chance to take a shower because I really wanted to get to this conversation with you. So yeah, I love our conversations, Katie. It's so fun when we get together because we get, we just go deep, right? right. <laughs> it's intense to be us. I said that in my blog, it's intense to be me. It's intense to be us too, but we love it. So, so Katie, you know, we, we were talking a little bit before this and, and it is so true that this culture does not seem to value humility. It's, you know, well, look at the presidential race that we're currently uh, witnessing for one example. I mean, it's all about, you know, who's better than the other guy and how to be bigger and stronger and louder. and Right. And, you know, I think you bring up an important point about, about culture. It's really easy for people to think being humble goes along with humiliation and they're completely different. Mm, good point. Good point. And um, watching the debates this this last week, um, it was really interesting to see the posturing of of, of both candidates. Um, you know, and, and and I would actually encourage people in the, that watch the next debates to just see the reactions of when is somebody reacting to feeling humiliated, and when is somebody being humble. Mm-hmm. They're two totally different things. Two totally different things. Well, let's talk about what what that posture would be if somebody is humiliated. What 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 happens to us when we're humiliated? Well, there's this thing called humanity where we get reactive. Mm-hmm. 
yeah. And the ego comes into play. And and we've talked about ego. We've talked about uh, boundaries. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really that first first impulse, you know, how we frame what we're hearing. Um, and this is where humility comes in. If you view humility as humiliation, it's going to feel like an attack on you. Um, but if you ha- there's some self-regard, self-reflection, and some um, framework that we're not perfect, that we're in a process, the way that we hear that information can be completely different. And being in a space of a humble framework allows us to assess that information and use it to grow. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say this. Every single one of us has moments of being humble and every single one of us reacts because we feel humiliated. That's just part of the human experience. And to use maybe more yogic terms, when we are in a space of humiliation or a feeling of being less than, we contract and we tighten and, you know, the body is more uh, in that fight or flight, that sense of contraction. And then when we're more relaxed and humble and open, we are, uh, it's a sense of openness, a sense of relaxation where that parasympathetic nervous system is much more in uh, active mode. Yes. Yes. And and to take that even further, um, adding in mindfulness, that that humiliation really is self-judgment. Totally, totally, yeah. Yeah, so if, if we're using that debate as an example, did you see any humility in that in that debate? Like, did you see any responses that maybe were a little um, on the humble side? I don't know if I can recall any. <laughs> I, I think that Americans in, in general would probably say that taking responsibility goes along with humility. And um, Mm -hmm. we did see some responses where people did acknowledge responsibility. Mm, So yeah, if we use that argument. Okay. Okay. So let's talk about that uh, intersection that you mentioned of happiness and humility, because I'm really exploring it. And I would love to hear your take on this. Like how, how does humility and practicing this sense of you know, we are, we are all the same, uh, the sense of I'm no better than you, but I'm, I'm no less than you either. How does this, uh, lead to maybe more of a happy life, a sense of, um, contentment? Well, let's, let's pull this back and look at, um, humility as a starting point. Okay. And, that's a, a platform that we work off of to work towards happiness. So with humility, what would go hand in hand with that is self-compassion. Mm-hmm. Good. Okay. Because if we put ourselves in the framework of um, being humiliated instead of being humble, there's shame and all other kinds of yucky stuff that's attached to it. Mm-hmm. It's self-judgment. And people can be really hard on themselves. And in general, people are harder on themselves than they are other people. So um, if we go back to this place of humility and think about self-compassion and not judging, that sets a a tone where we can start to self-reflect and grow. 
Mm. And in that process, uh, there's a few things that actually come before happiness or lead to happiness or support happiness. And the first thing is optimism, the way we frame the world, the way we frame um, the situation that we're in. Uh, self-actualization, which is our growth, that self-actualization actually supports us in our interpersonal relationships. And when we invest in those things, that promotes the feelings of happiness in our life. So by investing, are you suggesting we practice self-compassion, optimism, self-actualization, things that lead to our self-actualization? So it's more of a practice? It is a practice. Okay. It absolutely is a practice. And going back to the self-compassion, being in a place when you're reflecting of observation, which is mindfulness, as opposed to judging, it gives a lot of clarity on how to move forward, how to view the world. It gives us that nice pause time to make decisions. Um, But going back to framing the world or framing the situation that we're in, um, are you going to make lemonade out of lemons? Is the, ca- the cup half empty or half full? The way that we choose to frame how we see things, ourselves, and the world really determines our experience that we have, our emotions, our state, and everything that follows that. So if we're not a naturally optimistic person, <laughs> like a lot of people just don't feel on a, any given day like they can make lemonade out of lemons. If we're not a naturally optimistic person, practicing gratitude, like maybe using a gratitude journal, um, or just noticing small things to be grateful for, would that be a a positive way to kind of cultivate this sense of optimism? Absolutely. And I would even suggest finding people Mm -hmm. that are good at it, that are strong at it, to be around that can model that for you. Oh, good idea. Um, Setting in a system to start to practice it, just like going to the gym. Okay. But people that are successful with a goal usually have multiple strategies. It's not just one thing. So um, surrounding yourself with people that are modeling it that you can learn from. There's something called um, a behavioral contagion. If you surround yourself with with people that are um, showing these qualities – it can become contagious. Mm, okay. Okay. Can you, uh, do you, does anyone come to mind when you think about somebody that really uh, demonstrates this kind of seeing, seeing the bright side of things and that really inspires you to? to... <laughs> that, would, that would be you, Connie. <laughs> ah, oh, thank you. Well, same, same on your end. You inspire and, me. And if you don't mind me using you as, as an example, um, okay. happiness. And this is really a purpose and a mission for you. And and if I can use you as an example, sure, go ahead um, <laughs> resiliency, mm. right? Okay. It, it, being happy doesn't mean you don't have hard times. You don't have traumatic things, struggles. Right. I mean, you went through one of the darkest things anybody can imagine, losing a child. And you had to walk through that grief. And um, here you are on the other side, living, living life with joy and with meaning and, you know, honoring the things that you've experienced in your life. And um, this humility actually has a a component that supports resiliency, not just happiness. 
Mm. How did and, you do that? Can you can you break that down too? Yes, because yes. sometimes it's so hard to see uh, how humility. Because I think of humility as when I just when I visualize the idea of it, it seems as though I'm making myself smaller. I think of like if I'm thinking of a person, I'm, I asked you that question. I think of somebody like Mother Teresa. She is probably for me the ultimate example of humility in this world because she just didn't see herself as better than anybody and she was just out to serve so and she was tiny <laughs> so so that kind of goes along with my sort of idea of what humility looks like but it is and that's that's compassion too true. that's so true yeah the two compa- the, when the two are paired together they're really really powerful mm. so when we're talking about resiliency and breaking that down this is where that piece fits. Okay. Um, when there, the work of Kelly McGon goes into talking about stress, um, talking about uh, physiology, health, the body, life. And one of the things that she's found in her research is that when people reach out when they're in need, when they ask for help, which for a lot of people is really hard, it's humbling to do, that actually helps create resiliency. The compassion piece, the reaching out. Um, Kelly McGonnell has work all about stress, what happens to the body, community, physiology, health. And what she's found in her research is that when people are under tremendous stress and they need support and they actually reach out for support, which takes humility, Mm -hmm. that that actually helps develop resiliency and bounce back. As well as if you are under stress and you also reach out and help somebody in compassion, that also helps the bounce back and resiliency as well. Interesting. Yeah. Well, you know that service, we all know service um, in its, just by, by its nature is healing to us. So, so reaching out, that makes sense, but actually reaching out to ask for help. Now I think that is one of the most humbling things you can do. And I think immediately of the aging population, you know, uh, you know, my parents and uh, a lot of our parents are, are getting older and some of them were raised in that generation that was so very independent. And the idea of, of asking for help is so foreign to them. And um, to, be, to be humble enough to say, I need, I need a little help here. So you're saying that that can actually create some resiliency in us. It does. Not not just psychologically, but physiologically. Physiologically. Okay. okay. Now, I would go and argue with your parents' generation that people knew their neighbors. And if somebody True. was in need, the community just helped out. That was a way of life. Right, right. It's not so much nowadays, though. It, it It's not. People don't know their neighbors like they used to. Um, so reaching out can we need to do that more (laughs) we really do need to do that more not everybody's gonna know your business or if you know there's been a a death in the family or a loss of job your your neighbors may not even know your first name Um, so true but with your circle of friends and people that you trust reaching out can make all the difference in the world and that's um really hard sometimes because we expect people to know what we need, and that's not always true. Mm, that is really true, yeah, yeah. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how, 
uh, humility helps us to be open to learning new things, um, to, helps us be teachable, to realize that we really don't know everything. I, I wrote this blog and I quoted one of my favorite authors right now, uh, speakers, authors, Richard Rohr. He's a Catholic Franciscan priest who I just love all of his writings. And if you're a lapsed Catholic, you should pick up a Richard Rohr book because he's so radical and his idea of, of uh, our relationship with God is so new and just exciting and nothing like your father's Catholic, <laughs> Catholic upbringing. So, so pick up a Richard Rohr book. So he says being humble and being open uh, to receive, I mean, that's, that's, the true self that's our true nature and he's all about being our authentic true selves so maybe we can talk a little bit about how uh, humility can help us to be more open to learn from others and um, Richard Rohr says that the true masters the true spiritual masters know that they really don't know anything <laughs> and and when you're humble and you have have this sense of uh, your real place in this universe, you realize that there's so much that we don't know. There's so much mystery, and we're able to coexist with this mystery and, and be okay with it. And I mean, to me, that's the ultimate humility, is that there's so much we just don't understand about God and the world and our relationship to it. You know, that's interesting because um, hearing you say that, it, it made me think about how humility really opens you up to curiosity. Mm -hmm. And isn't it human nature to want to control and know everything? <laughs> and uh, which we don't. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> which we don't. So um, it really opens ourselves up to curiosity and um, exploring the world, exploring life, exploring happiness. But going back to this piece of growth and humility, that growth really enables us to walk not only into our gifts and our potential, but really walk into intimacy and relationships. Mm. It's very hard to have a good relationship if you don't have humility. Mm. It's very true. Very, very difficult. And, um, this is an extreme example, but, you know, a few months ago, I lost my mother who had battled cancer for several years. Yeah. And um, she was a very strong woman. She was a very smart woman. Um, but it was very difficult for her to be vulnerable and to have, have that humility, which, of course, being sick, she it, it put her in that place. Her, her sickness her. Su mm -hmm. supported her to be that. And um, about a month before she passed, maybe two months, I was visiting her and um, she she started crying that that she was so sick and couldn't, couldn't take care of herself. And I said to her, well, if somebody else was sick, would you take care of them? And she said, yes. Of course she would, yeah. And I said, so why would you feel bad about somebody taking care of you? And she cried and she said, you know, I understand what you're saying. And I said, this is your time to, to receive and, and let people love you. And you don't have to do anything in return. And she said, I understand what you're saying, but it's not easy for me. 
And probably the hardest thing for me after her passing was thinking that you can go your whole life and not let people into that other level and, and be vulnerable. And she was able to do it at the end, but it was very short lived. And that was very sad to me. Mm. Um, but everything we do, our goals, our happiness, how we lead, uh, how we fit in the world really depends on our ability to have relationships. And without humility, it's impossible for it to get to a, to a deeper, more intimate level with another human being. Yeah, that's such a good point, Katie. Yeah, and, it, and relationships are give and take. I mean, it's sometimes you're the giver and sometimes you're the recipient, and, the, and that's what it's all about. It's not always about giving, 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 and I think, I think we forget about that as, um, you know, we forget and I understand that sense of not wanting to be dependent on someone else. And, um, you know, we do have an aging population that a lot of people are dealing with that right now. And right. yeah, just, you know, and maybe it's changing the framework of viewing yourself as being mm-hmm. dependent, but rather viewing it as being connected. Oh yeah. Mm. So maybe there's some other ways we can practice um, I'm reading this article by a writer, Danny Cohn, and he says, practice kindness anonymously. She, he says, when you practice kindness, you transcend the high anxiety world of selfishness and experiencing the full, fill, fulfilling sense of oneness with others. When you practice kindness anonymously, you share the vision of your kindness only with God, without the distractions of pride and self-importance, which may result from sharing your kindness publicly. So when you're driving into the Starbucks line, pay for the person behind you's coffee, right? right? (laughs) It's a classic example. Right. And that's a really good way, going back to when we had our discussion about the ego, that's a really good way of taming the ego too. Um, With compassion, with kindness, if, if one wanted to go deeper and actually look, is my ego getting involved in this? Because people can get a hit from being, quote unquote, compassionate. Right. Is, it, it am I doing this it to feel good about right? myself? Yeah. Or mm-hmm. am I doing this because I really want to share? So that's, that's a really good question for one to ask themselves about their intentions behind it. Um, when... And, and if you want to give and you feel that you're struggling with that ego piece, that's that giving anonymously, doing something anonymously is a really good antidote for that. Mm, that's, that's pretty cool, I think, to think about that, that it really is a muscle. All of these things that we are just a little bit uncomfortable with, this vulnerability, this sense of humility, we just have to kind of play with it a little bit and, let, and build the muscle so that we are able to find that. Humility. Another thing that Danny says in his article, he says, loosen our expectations 
No matter how good we are at making plans or predicting outcomes, no matter how strong our belief is that something could be a certain way, life will often produce results we don't expect or don't want. And when we hold tight to those expectations, we become easily frustrated, disappointed, angry, and humiliated. Humiliated, there's that word. So when we take ourselves and our expectations less seriously, we can more easily handle what life hands us and move out of the way as we're guided on our journeys. I, I think that's a really important thing as well. And it, it's also difficult because we are such a, a controlled culture. <laughs> we are, right. we want to be in control. We don't like not knowing. We don't like um, not having kind of a handle on what's going to happen next. And, you know, nothing is guaranteed in this life. And so letting go of loosening at least our expectations what's a good way to practice that do you have any ideas for that well you and i both went to judith's workshop on surrender oh right right. surrender is not giving up it's really about getting into the flow Hmm. of what you're experiencing and really not attaching to to an outcome but honoring and acknowledging where you're at Okay. so that you can move through that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm really practicing surrender. So I guess that's a form of humility or a, or a way to practice. Okay, so we just moved. And uh, this is a, such a silly example, but it's really part of my surrender practice that I'm, I'm working on now. I bought some ceiling fans and I was going to put one in my bedroom. And it turns out that there wasn't a rough-in for the ceiling fan that I, that I had bought. So I decided, I'll just put this ceiling fan in my daughter's room where she had the rough-in. And maybe there's something else I could put up there. So I ended up completely changing my idea based on this just kind of mishap that happened and just kind of going with the flow. And now I'm going to put a pretty chandelier in my bedroom. So, and I think it'll look prettier in my I, I, my bedrooms, but we don't have trouble with temperature. So, so anyway, <laughs> that's a silly example, but I, I mean, that, that kind of practice is what I'm doing. I'm just surrendering, not with everything, but sometimes it's just a way of like, Hmm, well that didn't go exactly how I'd planned. So maybe there's another way to look at this, right? Right. And that's it. That's what, um, making humility a value allows us to do because you're not, you're not going to surrender all the time. You're going to want to hang on to things. There's things you're not going to be ready to let go of, but having that be a value allows you to kind of pause, step back and, and do exactly what you said. Can I look at this in a different way? Hmm. So just kind of wrapping this conversation up, how can we, in this country, as we sit here and observe the frenzy of this political situation, how can we sort of um, garner some humility about it and not get so attached to ideas about how things should unfold or how people should behave? Or is there is there a lesson in this for us with this uh, this presidential race? Well, I'm going to play off your word attached Um, rather than attaching is observe. Okay. Listen, Um, you know, be critical, 
being open doesn't mean that um, you're going to be, you're going to change or it's it just a, being in a place of observation allows you to make better decisions mm-hmm. and utilize your judgment better that aligns with your values. So um, I would say being in a place of observation and not taking um, things personally, what people say, whether you agree or disagree, but just to be watchful, Mm. just to be watchful. And if we practice humility, radical humility, this world will be such a better place. So uh, I think we can't go wrong in this situation and maybe it'll rub off. I live close enough to DC, so hopefully some of it will rub off. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's a pipe dream, but anyway. Thank you so much, Katie. For more information about working with you, you're so smart and you have so many credentials and you're just killing it out there. Congratulations. How can people find out more about you? Uh, If they want to find out more about me or contact me, they can go to www.authenticdimensions.com. And that's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. Pretty easy. You are the real deal. Authentic. Authentic. <laughs> Thank you, Connie. <laughs> Thank you so much. Let's go somewhere else. Let's. Where can we go this year? We went to Esalen last year. Where can we go this year? Mindfulness training in California. Okay. I'm looking at my calendar. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a happy, healthy weekend and humble. Be humble. Be kind. <laughs> you always are. to happy a journey of hope healing and waking up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies the loss of a child it's about love and sadness and being human the nine lessons in back to happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul healing from grief and loss is possible finding joy again is possible back to happy in paperback Kindle and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com.